Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined by Nate Atkins. There have been two days of Colts training camp practices so far. We've got observations up on the Indy Star website. We've got a lot of other content so far. Um, but, but realistically, from a practice standpoint, we haven't seen a ton. Um, we've seen roughly, well, off the top of my head, we've seen 24 11-on-11 snaps from Anthony Richardson. We've seen 27 snaps from Gardner Minshew. It's not a lot. Um, we're, we're most of this podcast is going to be about Jonathan Taylor, but let's since since we're potting now, we've seen two practices. I think I think my my initial observation, and it's really about the quarterbacks at this point because no one else is in pads. My initial observation on Richardson is just kind of what I expected. Uh, you know, he he looks at times he looks like a rookie. You know, uh, he hasn't his completions in eleven on eleven have not gone for a lot of yards so far. Um, there have been. A couple that were blown up by defensive backs, Kenny Moore. That, that's not necessarily his fault. Uh, Kenny Moore blew up a block on a, on a quick hitter to Isaiah McKenzie today. That would have been a loss in a game. I think I like to hope that Shane Steichen is smart enough not to throw at Kenny Moore if that was a, in, that, in a hypothetical game where they're playing against each other. Uh, longtime podcast listeners will know that I think that's the dumbest thing that any team does is throw little bubble screens to Kenny Moore's side. Um, but, you know, right out here, they're not, like, game planning stuff. They're working on stuff. So that, that it's been a lot of short completions. He does seem like he's a little bit, timing-wise, he's a little bit off. Shane Steichen kind of acknowledged that today. Uh, there was one throw today. Steichen took us through the play, but I, I saw it, too, and it's the same thing. I saw the same thing he said. Um, the longest attempt of Richardson's day in 11-on-11, he dropped back. He had pressure off the side. He evaded it and stepped up, but he had room. He had room once he stepped up to keep sliding up and set his feet and make a good throw. Uh, instead, he kind of threw well moving, well jumping, and it sailed a little bit on him and it went over Kylan Granson's head. He, he couldn't pull it in with essentially his top t- two fingers on, on the outside hand. It, it's not that big a deal at this point. Like you expect a rookie to have some timing issues early mm-hmm. uh, with the passing game. That's that's This is the first time he's ever been in an NFL training camp. I don't think it's anything to like jump off of a bridge about I, it's just what's gone on so far that that's my that's my initial glance is he's he's learning they're giving him reps uh there's some stuff that you'd like to be better but you, you'd expect that with a rookie you you don't you're not expecting a rookie to come in and have everything timed up the way philip rivers would yeah he looks like a young excited kid with a big arm and lots of athleticism who's learning that's the excited part is an interesting thing because he is fun in practice yeah. in a way that, like, the veterans – Rivers was fun in practice because of the trash talking, um, although we didn't get to hear much of it because it was the COVID year. But, but Rivers kind of always bantering back and forth with the other players mm-hmm. made him fun. I think the thing that makes Richardson fun is if you watch him, he's never really not moving – like he's acknowledging the fans when they were doing punt this time the quarterbacks were right behind him and he would turn around and pretend like he was catching the punt like he's just always kind of doing something uh he's just really enjoying himself out there you can see a lot of like joy from him in the practices so far so that excited piece you talk about that has kind of stuck out the first couple practices yeah it makes me think back to when i went down to his pro day at florida and talked to osiris torrance his uh uh, all-american guard and he said uh, the sun is always shining in his world. And so... Ooh, I like that. I thought That's that... like <laughs> kind of poetic. It is. And he, he said, you'll see that on a day-to-day basis at, at practice. And it's playing out that way so far. 
So, essentially, Anthony Richardson lives in San Diego every day. That's what I'm taking away from that. Because yeah. that's where the sun is always shining. In Florida, it's not. In Florida, there's rain every day from 3 to 5. And it's ironic we say that today because the practice got moved indoors because it was storming. But it was still sunny in Anthony Richardson's world. <laughs> so, that's kind of what we're getting to see so far. But, yeah, as far as the performance, it, it is like that. It's like I've seen the same way he looks looks like he's thinking a lot out there which makes sense i mean that's part of it you gotta learn you gotta see it you gotta go through it there's a it's like there's a lot happening on the field at one time for the guy who's in charge of this do you think about like the responsibility of a quarterback they gotta know what you know they gotta know what uh what 21 other players are doing or trying to figure it out on real time and that's it takes time to get the feel for that you just see the natural output of a kid who just turned 21 and only has 13 starts in college. But, but that's why, like, these practices are important. This is why eventually I think they're, they're going to play him early and live through some of this because these, the, to actually go out there and experience it is important. Because what we also know about is he's watching tons of film. His head buried in the playbook. He's doing all of that. But what you can't replicate in those settings is just the live drills live reps and experience sam ellinger brought that up last year how much that that really helped him even when he didn't play super well against new england he really liked that learning opportunity that's that's what anthony is at and so the one thing that size so is like at least once a practice he makes a throw that you go oh that's why they drafted him that high and today it was a kind of a rollout to the left now granted he it was seven on seven and he would have been sacked in a real game but we yeah, still he held the ball way too long we got to see it though when he just uncorked like a 60 yard ish bombed Alec Pierce and he does that about once a practice and it's like okay um I haven't you know compared to last year we didn't have quarterbacks in this roster who could do that so it's very very different and uh well yeah it's it's also different because so I think as we're talking about this the thing that sticks out to me most is that he doesn't have the NFL pocket clock in his head yet um which makes sense it's only two days of training camp but like there was the play I mentioned earlier where he sped up too much, uh, escaping mm-hmm. the pocket. The, the the overarching thing I've noticed in seven on seven is that he's probably holding onto the ball longer than it would be in a real game, and that's that's just a function of him being a rookie. He doesn't. He he mentioned you know the first time he mentioned way back in OTAs that the first time he pulled the ball on his own read, the defensive end was right next to him, and that was like oh, okay, this is a little bit different because in mm-hmm. Florida when he at Florida when he did that. He was running away from guys and had plenty of space. So he hasn't learned yet. To, he doesn't have that innate feel or, or timer in his head for an NFL pass rush. That'll come. Like, he's, he's just got to get used to it. He hasn't seen much of it. He still hasn't seen a real one out here. Um, but that, that does strike me is that, like, when, when he's in 11 on 11, at times it seems sped up, and that's, that's when there's a rush coming. And then in 7 on 7, he's holding on to the ball a long time, which – Steichen, so Shane Steichen said something interesting. He said that when, when the initial read isn't there in seven on seven, they don't want them to just stand there and bounce and then make a throw. They want them to simulate like what would happen if a play was extended uh, in the actual season, and that so that's why you get the rollouts and stuff like that. Now, that being said, even with a rollout, there is a clock when the ball has to come out. And if you were watching, say, a Matt Ryan or a Philip Rivers. Um, those types of guys when in practices, all of their throws in seven on seven kind of come mo- or, or 90% of them kind of come out when they have to, even if they move a little bit, they come out when they have to, cause they, they've played so many snaps and they know so much about what, what how quick it's going to happen that they have that, 
that clock in their head. Richardson will probably get there. It's just he hasn't been against an NFL pass rush yet. So nope. that's it's it's a very different thing to watch. But that's that to me is maybe the biggest thing right now is just he's he's learning how fast the pocket's going to collapse on it. And you just see that with quarterbacks that haven't played a lot. Justin Fields has had a lot of that, you know, as part of his growth trajectory. Then, you know, one rookie who came in and didn't have as much of that was Joe Burrow, who's a much older rookie, you know, like he had spent five years in college. And so uh, so it's, it's just part of it. It's, it's also it is going to be an interesting evolution, though, because at Florida, he also got away with the fact that they actually had a really nice offensive line. Now, the receivers and all that, there's a lot of issues that he was playing around. But the offensive line with, like I mentioned, Osiris Torrance, he had this ability, he had this trust that there was going to be time. And then he had this feel that, like, once, you know, once the rush does get to him, he can sort of do his magic, you know, launch from one leg to the other and, and run away. And he'll, he's an amazing athlete. He's the most athletic quarterback prospect ever. So he's going to have moments where that works in the NFL, but it won't work all the time. Like, you're not going to just – always be able to spin away from Miles Garrett or TJ Watt. And so that'll be a lesson he has to learn too. And that's what playing is going to be important because he's he's going to have to get a few of those reality checks and then build sort of a feel of timing and um, an internal clock that just naturally isn't there right now. The the other piece I want to get to before um, before we talk, start talking about Jonathan Taylor, um, Shaq Leonard is practicing a lot. Um, more than we were led to expect from Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard kind of said at the beginning he'd do individuals. The very next day, Leonard was out there doing 11-on-11 drills. Now, I, granted, Ballard said they were going to wait on full contact, and there there are no pads on right now, so there's not it's not full contact. But they're also not keeping him away from contact. He's in there on 11-on-11 drills when they are running the ball. Uh, just, just today in the indoor facility, Zach Moss came through the hole and was met by Shaq Leonard on a thud with they're not wearing pads but they i mean they hit each other uh mm-hmm. and i i thought i i when ballard talked on tuesday i i hope i'm getting my days right here because we're, we're already at the point where i don't know what day of the week it is um it's friday but uh i think but he did not lead me to believe that we would see that from she- from shaquille leonard right away and we are seeing it and i think Maybe more than anything, that's the best sign. This is the first time in a long time that he's been doing that right away at the beginning of train, training camp. But what it means for the regular season, I don't know. Um, it's just he's further ahead than I, I than I thought he was going to be based on what Chris Ballard said. Imagine someone telling you as the season ended last year that two days into training camp, Shaq Leonard would be doing a ton and Jonathan Taylor wouldn't be doing anything. Uh, you wouldn't believe that, but this this camp has been surprising so far, and we'll get to the other part in a moment. But yeah, Shaq looks he looks good, and that's been unfortunately just a lot's being overshadowed by what we're going to discuss here in a moment. But this this has been this has been great to see from Shaq. Is that is someone you know for us we get to see I think everyone gets to see moments of Shaq's energy and passion, obviously on the field when he was on the sidelines in the Chiefs game. But we, covering the team on a day-to-day basis, you get to see so much more of it. And say, whatever you have to say about Shaquille Leonard, he cares so much about this. In fact, frankly, sometimes too much, which is what got him in, you know, which is kind of what rushed him back last year. Is he wanted it so bad before the body was ready. But to see it actually play out to where that uh, kind of pent-up energy and emotion has translated into the right kind of patience to line this up. And this is the moment now when he can sort of kind of take command of it on a team that's also 
getting pretty young and needs that exact type of person out there. I think it, you know, we're not out of the woods yet on this. We got to see things play out more. But so far, I think is a, a very nice development. Well, and I think I think I might have said this on the podcast. If I didn't say it on the podcast, I apologize. I, I know I said it on the radio. One of the things I was thinking about right before the start of this is we didn't. I didn't really know what to expect from Shaq Leonard's injury, and and really still don't because it's not an injury I've covered a lot. Um, you know we. We cover a lot of Achilles tendon tears. We cover a lot of ACL tears, sprained ankles, high ankle sprains, that kind of thing. Two discs pressing on the nerves that leading to the leg, causing functionality problems in the leg, is a, is a pretty unique injury um, to be covering. And so without having a baseline of like what that looks like most of the time, I, everyone always wanted to know, like what, should, like, what should Shaq be doing? I don't, I don't know. I don't know like what exactly the right timetable is for this. I know that last year was what they did last year was too fast. Mm-hmm. And the reason I know that is because Shaq said it, is that he said that he felt like he came back too fast. He rushed it and pushed it to get on the field, and he wasn't anywhere close to himself. So last year was too fast. Whether or not this is or whether or not this is too long or whatever, I don't know because I've never covered that specific injury before to have that sort of baseline of knowledge. Yeah, and I've really with I'm not a medical expert, but I do think that's a situation where like every everyone's case is different because he's it's such a unique injury that involves multiple body parts and also backs are just unpredictable and risky, I'll say. I say this as someone who has scoliosis, uh so I feel have have, have that feeling all the time in me a little bit. Um but, but with Shaq it's like yeah, it's you just wondered when it was gonna get better and it had to get so much better like he is what he's been admitting is that last year when he played was so far off the version of him that he remembered being and the version of him he remembered being 2021 it's such a high bar to get back to because it's the most the fastest and most explosive linebacker in football and so I was always fascinated to see just just what it would look like like how do you know how close it is and this is where he's matching up the tape like they did last year, match up the tape of practice versus the games last year and trying to get a sense of is he moving as fast. But that was one thing Gus Bradley brought up was, man, he is moving unlike he moved last year. And I felt that was an interesting perspective from Gus because he never got to see the real Shaq that we got to see in 2021. He got here and heard all about him and studied him on film and builds out this defense that's a Seahawks-style mold and thinks about this guy who's going to be in the center of it like Bobby Wagner was. And even and honestly, even the tape that he was looking at from the Colts last year was not a fully healthy Shaq Leonard because we now know that the full season, the last full season he played, he was experiencing functionality issues in the calf, and he was very open yeah. about it during that season that his leg wasn't firing the way it was supposed to. So, so normally when a coach comes in, what they watch is the previous season. That's what Gus Bradley would have seen. He, you're right. He doesn't have it. He he was he came too late to have the tape of Leonard feeling pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That and that, frankly, says everything about just how talented Shaq Leonard is. That he had a hand in 15 turnovers that year and was playing through that. Yeah, I mean, during the middle of that season, he he took us through like eight plays from the season so far that that he had felt his leg do something or it changed the play in some way and why it changed the play and how it changed the play. Um, and it was really revealing, like how he was using his instincts essentially to make up for the lack of explosion in his leg. Yeah, and so it's like that's one storyline that 
so far as early on off to a very promising start for a guy who really needs a bounce back. And I think another guy that really needs a bounce back that's impressed me is Kenny Moore. Uh, past two days, or the two past days we've watched, both days he's he's made a play. You mentioned the one today on the on the screen pass, but he had one the other day where Gardner Minshew threw a nice ball at the back of the end zone to Michael Pittman Jr. And Kenny Moore could not have been more in position, just blanketed on a guy who's a lot bigger than Kenny Moore. But this that was the kind of Kenny we used to see, where he was just he'd be in such great position and he'd use those gangly arms to just find the ball and swat it away. And you've seen a little bit of that swagger back in him. So, again, it's early. They don't even have pads on yet, so I'm not trying to say what his performance level is going to be yet. But I do notice, you know, a, a, a sort of brighter energy to Kenny than a year ago where, you know, there was just so much going on with his, you know, his contract status and a new, new defense. And, and I will say, though, I, I've always felt like Shaq being out there brought something else out of Kenny. There's, there's just something. Those two are very fascinating mix because their personalities are so different, and yet they both ultimately, at their peak, run on, you know, these fumes of energy. And well, and their games are. What makes them special is similar. They create turnovers. Yeah, exactly. And I just remember uh, back Kenny when I first got on the beat mid-season 2021. Kenny had one of his best games against the Texans, uh, and he had said that morning. He'd gotten a he gotten a message from Shaq where he said like, you know, you need to like, you need to be that guy like bring that swagger. You're like you're the smallest guy in the field, but you are one of the best. And it like it brought this confidence in him that just played out on the field. And I just that was missing in Kenny last year. So I, I absolutely think Shaq's presence he does bring out the best in his teammates a lot of times. And I think in a small way we're seeing that with Kenny Moore so far. Uh, that this brings us to the storyline that's dominated the week so far Jonathan Taylor and his desire for a contract extension we know he desired a contract extension because he told us so in June in June he said uh, he had that his team had approached the Colts uh, and they were waiting on the organization to say something what there's been a lot said since then but I think the most important thing is what Jim Irsay told ESPN uh, this is we're taping this on Friday this was the late very late Thursday night that the team does not plan to offer does has not offered Jonathan Taylor a contract extension and does not plan to offer him one until the end of this season. Um, we can get into some of the other stuff that's happened since then, and I think the order of operations here has is is a big issue with the way the stories come out. But ultimately, the thing I keep thinking about is by saying they're going to wait till the end of his rookie deal to. Uh, to, to even negotiate with him on a contract extension the Colts are the, the Colts are changing their philosophy and their process from what it's been and what what Taylor has seen for other players in the past uh, just just to recap uh, Ryan Kelly uh, Shaq Leonard Braden Smith Naheem Hines another running back and then Quentin Nelson last year have all signed their contracts uh, their second contracts, the more lucrative second contract during training camp, or or in Nelson's case, literally the night before the season, before their the end of their the last year of their rookie deal starts, and and you, there's a lot of caveats. I'm, I'll run through them in a second because you've thrown you guys have thrown them all at me, um, but Taylor was here for all of that and knows it, and said in the summer that. 
He wants to be rewarded the way other guys have been rewarded who've played well and been good in the community. And the Colts do not plan to do it at all. It's it's a departure no matter what, no matter how how you look at it. People can say, well, he's coming off of an injury. Well, Nelson was coming off of three surgeries and four injuries when he when he signed his extension. Leonard was hurt when he signed his extension. Uh, they say he's a running back. Naheem Hines is a running back. Now, granted, he's a Grant, Hines costs less uh, because uh, of his status as a as a satellite back, but he's still a running back. They did sign one mm-hmm. before he got to the end of his rookie deal. Um, and then just in terms of like overall production, I know some people have said, well, Taylor's produced less in his career than Nelson or Leonard at this point in terms of all pros. He hadn't produced less than Braden Smith. Uh, and mm-hmm. granted, Braden Smith plays a premier position and he plays tackle. But like there's there's Jonathan Taylor's been pretty good. There's been there's a part of this discussion now where like we've gone from should the Colts pay Jonathan Taylor to Jonathan Taylor is not good in like it felt like in like six hours or something online um i i'm just going to disagree with those of you who think he's not good he's he's really good uh i think i thought i think his rookie season like because people are upset at him wanting a second contract they're remembering the early part of it he he was really good once he got going in the second half um he dominated jacksonville in the last game to get them into the playoffs uh he he they they carried he, he nearly carried the offense now granted running backs cannot necessarily like there, there's two ways to look at it. there's just a double-edged sword to it where obviously he had the incredible season in 2021 and it didn't get them in the playoffs but he almost got them into the playoffs with zero passing game which is not supposed to happen in today's nfl and and then last year yes he was hurt and the offensive line was terrible but even with a terrible offensive line and a bad leg he still rushed for four and a half yards per carry jonathan taylor is good He's a he's one of the best backs in the NFL, and and one of the few who can do what Shane Steichen said, which is when he's when he's right and he's healthy, he's explosive and creates explosive runs for you in the running game, which is to Steichen's mind, the goal of everything is explosiveness. So, um, I I realize I'm coming off as fairly pro Jonathan Taylor here. I don't necessarily mind that. Um, <laughs> But, but the fact that they're not offering him a contact, contract extension, players know what happened to other players in the locker room contract-wise. Mm-hmm. Taylor very clearly knows what happened with other players in the, in the room contract-wise. And we can have another debate about whether or not the Colts should pay him at all or whether they should just move on because he's not good. Again, I don't necessarily agree with that. But it is different on a base level the way they are handling jonathan taylor's contract extension is different than the way they handled similar players in this situation and that's the genesis of why taylor why taylor's upset yeah the i think there's some rationalization going on is that when you realize fans realizing where this is trending and that there's a chance that taylor doesn't you know we don't know when he's going to practice it certainly looks doubtful, especially with what his agent is saying that he's going to be here in the long haul. The, so the agent stuff is wild. It is the agent. Two tweets from the agent. One directed directly at the team's owner. Woof. I I just that's just that's pretty out of character for agents. Yeah. Um, it's to be honest with you, I don't think either side's handling it very well. No. Because you have that. And I, I don't understand the tactic of trying to bully an owner into giving you a contract. Um, but at the same time, like 
the owner of the team shouldn't be subtweeting his best player either. Um, and look, I understand what he said, what Jim Irsay said to Stephen Holder in that story, that his tweet was about just the general running back market, probably a reaction to what Najee Harris was saying. But read the room, man. Like, you've got a running back <laughs> going through it, and yeah. his agent literally thought it was about him and tweeted at you. So well, it's and not it wasn't, helping. And, and in, in this case, in this case, it wasn't just – in this case, it was not just the, the agent. Like, when, when Irsay – in the hour between Irsay tweeting that and Malkikawa – tweeting his firing back at Ursay, like every everybody on Twitter that I saw, everybody, everybody I saw react was like, that's about Taylor. Yeah. Like you just have to be aware that that's how it's going to be taken when you have a running back who's in the contract era. Yeah. So back to the original point, I think there's rationalization where when you realize that someone's going to move on, um, you start to talk about like, well, maybe we don't need him. Maybe he wasn't as good as we thought all along. Look, I take this back to just a year and a half ago when I got on this beat. One of the first games I covered was a game in Buffalo in which everybody in the entire stadium, press box, stands, on the field, whatever, knew who was getting the ball snap after snap, and nobody could do anything about it. And he, ran, he scored five touchdowns that day. He, he did things in O.J. Simpson Stadium that O.J. didn't even come close to have ever done. And... That season, he ended up rushing for almost 500 yards more than any other player in football. Like, I, I just feel like we have forgotten what went down that year the last time he was healthy and not playing through a high ankle sprain. And just one year ago at this time, I remember Matt Ryan's first press conference here. We, we do it out on the fields here at Grand Park, and, and Matt Ryan's there. And I couldn't hear Matt Ryan's first answer because of all the fans screaming for Jonathan Taylor's autograph. Okay, so the, this, is a, this was an amazing player who went through a very tough year last year, like a lot of players on this team. Um, if you're going to judge players in the Colts based on what 2022 brought them, then your opinion of all players should go down, and that's except for, Dor except for, DeForest, except for DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. But, like, <laughs> seriously, you go through it, Shaq Leonard, uh, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, Michael Pittman Jr. Last year was not the best of any of those people, and often it was the worst. Kenny Moore. And so, and Jonathan, you know, he's not perfect. Like, he, he does need to improve, as I've said, in pass protection. Um, but this is an electric runner, and all the numbers back that up when he's been out on the field. And so, yeah, he's the, – the decision is – the discussion is just more, you know, do you – do you value paying that, or would you be okay with just having a more average running back on a rookie contract? That's that's a that's that discussion gets beaten to the ground anyway. But that's at least the fair one. I don't think it's fair to question whether Jonathan Taylor is an elite player because we there's just way too much evidence that he is. And as far as I'm not offering a deal to him, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that because the whole point is right now they have way more leverage than he does because of the current state of the running back market. But by not even making any offer, I don't think they're using the leverage for anything. There's nothing to pressure Jonathan into doing because he doesn't have any, you didn't give him any options to do anything. And so, and I think that what they're going to risk here though, is if, if they let this year play out, they can only franchise tag one of Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. And the other one's going to leave to free agency. And I'm telling you, Jonathan, Michael Pittman Jr. is going to test free agency. That doesn't mean he won't come back. Uh, but that's absolutely the vibe I get from Michael Pittman Jr. Is he wants to see what the market's like. He wants to see what that. So you have no 
they're giving up their control of this situation by not making an action right now. And it's just risky. And it may work out totally fine. Maybe they still lock up Pittman. Maybe they choose to move on from Pittman and franchise tag Taylor. Maybe they wind up with Marvin Harrison Jr. And all these dreams come true. It's just, it's a gamble. And there's alternatives they could do right now that I just, it doesn't seem like they're interested in doing. From, from the team perspective, if we're looking at it from the team perspective, Taylor is a running back. Running backs, running back deals that have been signed big, with the exception, I would say, of, of Nick Chubbs, which probably falls less than a big deal, but is is the kind of deal that they should be trying to get done. Like, they have not gone well. So if the team is reticent to pay a, a, a number one running back, workhorse running back, okay, that's understandable. If if they want to wait and see because of they're worried about the ankle injury, that's understandable from the team perspective. If they feel like uh, they're just not sure that they want to move on from Taylor, that's also fine. I think the reason that Taylor's upset is because everything else they'd said to this point publicly was Jonathan Taylor is special. The owner has said that several times. Um, he even said it in in, the, in his interview with, with ESPN where he said, uh, you know, we need Jonathan this year. We have to have him. And and then the, just the, the fact that they have said over and over and over and over again, we pay our own, we pay our own, we take care of our own. That's, that has been the, the drumbeat of Chris Ballard's tenure here as GM. And if, if the team wants to change that philosophy, it is well within their rights to do it. The team, like it or not, with, uh, with the exception of truly great quarterbacks, the team has all the power in almost all contract negotiations. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that the player has to be okay with it. And there are doesn't mean, it doesn't mean It doesn't mean the player just has to be like, oh, you, you're going to feed me a different sandwich than you fed everybody else. I'm fine. Like, that – they, they know, and, and Ballard has acknowledged this many, many times. He, he always says the locker room knows. Like, he said before, you can't – he said when, he, he, when he's going to bring in somebody on a big money free agent contract, he has to know that they're going to wear it well because people are going to be looking to those guys. Well, if they're aware of who's making the most money, then they're aware of when they got paid. <laughs> and so they know when it happened, how it happened, what kind of player got paid. And, again – if the team does not feel that Jonathan Taylor is that kind of player, if they don't feel he's that, they are well within their right to do that. But that doesn't mean that the player has to feel that way about himself. Yeah, and to me, not making any offer is just making this thing confusing because if they had made an offer like the Nick Chubb deal, I don't know that Jonathan would accept that. Maybe he thinks he's worth more. Maybe he thinks that deal is outdated. That's fine. That happens in these negotiations. Players always, I mean... You know, you're trying to meet in the middle anyway. But at least in that situation, what you'd be saying is they don't value me as much as I as much as I think they should. Not getting an offer of any kind comes off could come off as they don't value me at all. And that no one in life likes feeling that way. That's that's why Jonathan is is where he is at right now. And what I wonder, we don't we don't we're not in the discussions with them. And Chris Ballard met with Jonathan on Tuesday, and he's. He said he's had long chats with them in May and June, so they have clearly have talked through some of this. But I think it would be totally fair for them to say, you know, we need to see how you come back from the ankle. We want to see how you fit in the scheme, but we will have this conversation with you, and they could set a date in September or something like that. I don't think he would be acting this way if that's what the conversation was. But to make no offer and 
what Jim Mercy has been saying to ESPN indicates that they don't plan to make an offer soon. Right. Just kind of leaves him in the dark. Right. What he said was they're not going to talk about it until after this season. Yeah. Um, when Taylor hits free agency. Which and you see why a running back specifically gets very nervous about that because what is this season going to do to him the his first, body? The first game of Jonathan Taylor's NFL career is the day that Marlon Mack lost any chance he ever had at a, second, at a big second contract. Good point. Taylor has said – Taylor has – I will say this about Jonathan Taylor. He has said throughout his career that you just never know – you will prepare as much as you can in the offseason because you never know when injury is going to strike. And before last year, it kind of felt like, ha-ha, you know, this is something coming from somebody who's never been hurt. But when you think about it in terms of what he saw for what happened to Marlon Mack, it makes a lot of sense in that, like I said, the very first game he ever played, a running back lost – Every, any chance he ever had at a big potential contract and running backs have the running backs know that mm-hmm. like they they know that now again again if if your stance is you should never pay a running back like that is a different argument from what i'm saying right now what i'm saying right now is to suggest that jonathan taylor should just be fine with this like just just be fine with being treated differently than other cult stars to be fine with not having a chance at it unless he does something like you're just putting that on him yourself like he has every right to feel like he's being treated differently than other players on the Colts because he was and again he's he's very aware that his position is he's always been very aware I think most running backs are that their position is is fleeting because of the injuries that they take and so yeah, he, he knows. He saw it happen to Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack tore his Achilles tendon and never got the life-changing money, never got a chance at the life-changing money that that comes with your second contract. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because I've seen people make the argument that, you know, why doesn't he just play out the season, try to have your best year, try to replicate that 2021 season, and trust that it'll all work out. The problem is in his, you know, he can look at it and say his best year is not likely to lead to an extension. It's likely to lead to a franchise tag. So you're not giving him really a realistic route to get the kind of goals. Like he just doesn't know how to win in this situation. That That's where running backs are across the league is a lot of Nick Chubb said this first. I think it sums it up. It's the only position that gets punished for the production uh, that they have. And uh, what I think about with Jonathan is after games, this is something I, I don't know if we've ever really kind of put out there, but Jonathan has one of the most unique kind of post-game routines. And I don't know all the steps that are in it, but it's it's super, super maintenance on the body. And sometimes we'll get to talk to him and it's way after like locker room closed. It's But he goes through all these steps to try and like, you know, post-game, you know, manage his body so that he can get through it. And what the fear that's setting in right now is that He's losing control over that because if there's a situation where he plays this contract year and if they franchise tag him and they know that they have a rental agreement, essentially a one way, one sided agreement to rent this player for two years, they could have him run 35 times a game with a rookie quarterback in a developing passing game. And he's losing control over his ability to keep his body upright and safe and then has to wonder where am I left 
in two years from now, if I finally hit free agency and in a four-year span, it's possible where he's led the league in rushing attempts three out of four years and the other one was maligned by an ankle injury, what does that player get on the open market? These are scary thoughts that he is still, uh, he's he's fighting through. Now again, again, from the team's perspective, if you want, if from the team's perspective, if they do not want to pay a running back, if they feel like Taylor's got too much workload, if they feel like he's already damaged goods because of the injury, they're, the team's well within its right to feel that way. If if they feel like they made a mistake with some of the big extensions that they signed, and they're just not saying it because most of those players are still on the roster, with the exception of Hines. That's also fine. Like the team can make that decision. It just you can you I can see why that would be frustrating to Jonathan Taylor. That's, yeah, that's that's my ultimate point. And like you said, I, I'm I know I'm coming across as pro Jonathan Taylor on this podcast, and I'm I'm mostly fine with that. I'm I'm in general I'm pretty pro players getting paid in this league. I, you you see it. You see what they go through. Uh, the DeMar Hamlin moment really crystallized that for me last year even more in the conversations we had around that. But also, I'm always going to be pro-superstar players. <laughs> like, I think DeForest Buckner, I think you should pay DeForest Buckner. I think you should pay Spawn Gilmore. Like, I, I, I believe that highly in his abilities. Now, I do think, you know, it's possible you look at him, like, the, like what you're saying, if the team looks at him and just says, like, you're an electric runner. But what we really need, what we really would value out of a, a running back is third down skills and, you know, pass blocking and receiving and errors. I think he definitely needs to improve that. And maybe this year is an opportunity for him to do that. Maybe that could be. But this need, it just doesn't feel like the dialogue is very clear here. And Jonathan, when we see him out there, and I've shared the photos of it, he looks, frankly, very unhappy. And of course, we are not in his head. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to read all all into that. But he's not talking to other teammates. His hoods up, and he's not engaging with fans. And just a year ago is when he had the biggest autograph lines of anybody. So there's an absolute shift in mood here. And so something's got to rein this back in because the only the words being exchanged right now are an owner and an agent tweeting and subtweeting back at each other, and that that cannot be. That's not a good example to set for your locker room of this is how we're going to handle – this is how we might handle you when you're due for an extension. When Chris Ballard says the locker room knows, I, that's the type of stuff he's getting at. So however this goes, if they want to move on, that's fine. If they, if they want to tag him, you know, they can do that. Something's got to change in the tone and the dialogue here between these, these two sides because there's more at stake than just the player. It's, it's all the players who are on his team and watched him carry them into playoff contention – in 2021 and, and seeing just how far he's fallen off mostly due to one year of an ankle injury and the fact that he plays running back it's hard to predict what the next uh move in this is going to be i, I would not have predicted going into thursday that there would be another tweet from taylor's agent um i also wouldn't have predicted that Ursay would have an 11th hour conversation with espn um, who knows as we wrap up the taping this on Friday if there's going to be big big movement over the weekend but obviously uh, you know all, all we all we know officially about why Taylor's not practicing is that he's on pup um, we haven't got a chance to talk to Taylor doesn't sound like we will until he's off of pup um, Shane Steichen has essentially said that he's going to be there for them and he's going to play whenever he gets there we're not getting a ton from the official channels so did 
we're going to see how this plays out. We're going to see how this plays out. Uh, again, it, maybe the team has changed its maybe the team has changed its philosophy, and they're again they're well within their rights to do so. It the fact that it is a change in philosophy isn't necessarily something that would just be noted by the locker room. It would it would matter to them. So, for the Colts Cover Two podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We'll be back next week, hopefully with more practice observations and less Twitter observations. Thank <laughs> you.